0: Welcome to Depolarize, the show where we try and remember that difficult questions never have simple answers. Today we've got David Bazan with us. Some of you know immediately who that is, and some of you have no idea. If you don't know who he is, he was the singer of a band called Pedro the Lion, which was hugely influential in kind of the, I don't know, skeptical or indie Christian music scene starting in the late 90s. And he has branched off and did done a couple solo albums under the name David Bazan. And he really spoke for a large contingent of Christians who had faith but were very concerned about Christian culture, were very critical of Christian culture, or very disillusioned by it. And then later in his career, a handful of years ago, he kind of publicly acknowledged and wrote songs about the fact that he was no longer a Christian, did not consider himself one. And so now he's maybe the voice, you could say, of a certain contingent of the post-Christian crowd in America and elsewhere. He's been an influential person in my life, both as an artist and sort of a commentator on Christian culture and and various religious questions, as well as some political questions. He's very active online about politics, and he has many songs about politics in America, and so I've always wanted to have him as a guest on the show. As I mentioned to him later in the interview, he's not always the most depolarizing person, and I was excited to kind of challenge him on that and see where that conversation went. Incredibly compassionate, well-spoken, he thinks very hard about things. I do not agree with him on everything, uh, as you could probably guess but I was really pleased to be able to chat with him through some of the bigger questions of our time. But before we start the interview, I gotta tell you a little story. So I'm recording this the evening of Easter Sunday, and yesterday, I went down to downtown Seattle with a few friends of mine and a few thousand other people, and I took part in the Tax Day March. In Washington, the Tax Day March had two specific aims. One is for Trump to release his taxes and or a law that requires the Secretary of Treasury to release the taxes of the sitting President and Vice President, as well as to require all major party candidates henceforward to release their taxes in order to be on the ballot. The second goal uh, was more local and I don't know as much about it, but apparently Washington State has what is considered a very regressive tax code, meaning it disproportionately affects the poor. We have a high sales tax and no income tax. So anyway, I went, and I took David Frum's advice, and I brought a big American flag with me. And I actually was interviewed by a guy from one of the local stations. I think it might have been CBS. And actually, I said, hey, you know, if you want to know why I'm carrying a flag, I'd be happy to do an interview. And he said, yeah. So I gave a quick interview. They actually didn't use the part about the flag, but I made it onto the news, and I stated that goal of the the piece of legislation— And I said, this is the kind of thing I think a lot of people can get behind. Now, I don't tell this story to pat myself on the back, but I was pumped. Here was a chance for me, fortuitously, to be a little part of a depolarizing national conversation, or at least a regional conversation in the Northwest. And I was really grateful to have had the opportunity. It's hard to fall asleep last night. I was like so pumped about (laughs) getting on the news, which I guess is a little silly. But I guess I just mean to say... We can do something. We're not sitting here with our hands tied around our backs. Uh, About 10 people came up to me and thanked me for bringing an American flag to the tax day march. So I guess that's all just to say, don't give up, keep going, keep depolarizing, if that's how you want to think of it, and please keep listening. I guess I should end with that. So here we go, talking with David Bazan. So David, how much touring have you
1: done since Trump got elected? I guess I did like three weeks in December. I played a couple of shows uh, in 2017, but yeah, right after he got elected, I I went back out and, uh, or oh, I guess about a month after, yeah, that was, that was, and it, you know, it's winter time and. yeah. It was
0: dark. Well, and so people probably don't know this, but the type of touring that you mostly do these days is different than what most bands do. You do these house shows.
1: Yeah, this was a combination of clubs and house shows, but it was all solo, and I was traveling by myself. Um, Oh, my gosh. Yeah, traveling by yourself in December when your family is doing these celebrating christmas Christmas. kinds of things, um, it definitely digs at you just a a tiny little bit, but wow. um, the travel is beautiful. Uh, traveling in the winter can be just some of the most breathtaking yeah. um, views and sensations. So it, it, you know, it's, there's, and I love tra I love the road. I love the job that I have. Um, but yeah, it can kind of smart a little <laughs> and it did, but the added, you know, there's just, um, there's a terrible feeling in the country. There's a terrible feeling that I have, certainly. Um, Yeah. And so and knowing that, you know, so what, and the point of my tour, uh, it was a Christmas tour, and I decided, well, I didn't decide coincidentally all the music was sort of grieving or protest that I was going to be presenting. And so I just thought, well, let's lay into that totally. Yeah. Let's grieve the loss, and let's protest and lift up the voices of the people that um are are being underrepresented you know right now and so i did that and there was a lot of people i mean especially in the house show it's it's interesting because once people are in there it's sometimes it's difficult to i mean you can leave but it's very intimate yeah and so in some cases like if you leave it's kind of a statement you know
0: if so, Yeah, if you do a particularly political song or say yeah. something particularly mean about Trump and
1: someone walks up and leaves, it's not like,
0: it's well, yeah. like all 29 other people saw them do that.
1: Well, I didn't learn. I don't know what I learned, but I learned to talk. If If that subject came up between songs, to talk inclusively, knowing that there are certainly people on the fence about Trump in the room. Yeah. But the songs are the songs, and they're all songs that, most everybody already knew and yeah. and loved, and just putting them in juxtaposition made a statement. Like, now if I play this, there's a song called People, and before it was, you know, true enough, and it spoke to certain folks about the, you know, it spoke to their experience, but now it has a different resonance to it that... Um, what are the lyrics in that that you're thinking of? Just about how, in the first verse, how you, you know... You, when i was young it seemed like that the people the grown-ups in my life were generous and caring and sort of loved people above all else yeah and then it kind of flips but now you're selfish and mean blah 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 eyes <laughs> I, I glued to a screen what yeah. titillates you is depraved and obscene like it's just it's not it's like it speaks differently now yeah because interesting. the the bloom is on the you know we can see it well and there's
0: there's also something interesting about um thinking about screens and television yeah. and entertainment and it, it's different it maybe it's the same as Reagan you know he was a he was a movie star then he was a governor but it
1: does seem different with Trump this is a different thing because Trump is just Trump is like Jar Jar Binks like the first time you see Jar Jar Binks you know he's bullshit like you just you're like <laughs> ugh, get this guy out of there and then he's in the rest of the three movies and that's the surprise yeah and I think that Trump is the same like the first time I saw a story on him when I was like a kid you just think like F- this guy like he's just a this guy is trash just human garbage you know and now he's the president of the United States and that's yeah. That's weird. I was, <laughs> was going to maybe pick a little bit, uh,
0: like walk a little tighter rope there and, and say, it's more like, you know, this is not even controversial. Yeah. He has mostly made his money as a brand, Yeah, uh, as a brand, basically. Yeah. He has put his name on real estate stuff yeah. and some other non-real estate stuff, some of which he didn't even do the deals for, especially overseas. And he wrote a book about how successful he was That's that then made him successful. Yeah, that was ghostwritten by another person. Of course, yeah, yeah. which is, you know, that's The way common, it goes. But I just mean there's something um, something about television and screen culture that Trump is like very much like a poetic realization yes. of a deeper truth about American culture.
1: Absolutely. Um, and, and the, yeah. the celebrity obs- obsession that you're talking about is now through the filter of internet culture where it's, it's obsessive in a different way. It can, it can, it's addictive in a way that TV, there was a limit to the saturation in the eighties. There's three networks and, you know, and so you're just sort of, you have what you have, but now you can immerse yourself into it to where it feels like that your media diet is the, is the media, you know, it seems just more dangerous and more isolating i think yeah. is the the thing i'm i'm feeling
0: so give people a little context here um these
1: house shows initially it was just me and an acoustic guitar with no pa or anything and so it was just really intimate i mean you you just standing
0: there well so i want to talk about that intimacy because i think it puts you in a unique position mhm um and we're in a unique time. It's an interesting time to be in a unique position. So I, I've, I've been to one of these shows. that came as um, Aaron Sprinkle's guest. Oh yeah, um, I knew and, that I recognized you. Yeah, that's what it's from. And so you're you're playing this like shorter guitar, and it's re- it is intimate. I mean, you have to play a smaller guitar so that because naturally most people don't realize this, but if you just strum an acoustic guitar, it's louder than your voice. It's pretty loud yeah. for almost anybody. I yeah. mean, maybe not christine aguilera or something right. but most of us singers yeah. it's we don't sing as loud as a guitar player. so you had the smaller guitar yeah which also means the overall decibel level is lower yeah it was i mean it's it's an intimate setting yeah to listen to music and then add on to that the fact that your music if nothing else is <laughs> intimate yeah it is like it's, it's and thoughtful it's, and, and it's in, challenging it's challenging yeah um, in different ways Yeah, so you have this really unique position, this interaction you're having, Mm -hmm. um, and as you just said, you've been doing it for a long time, so you have a really good baseline. So my question to you is, Mm -hmm. maybe even during the election, but especially those shows in December,
1: what did you notice had changed in your interactions with people? I mean, you could just see, and, and I guess I kept myself in as one of them, some people are just heartbroken, you know, yeah. some people just, it it was a return. You know, there's, it, it was every now and again, the fruit actually comes on the tree and you can, it's like the sample for that season. Like, this is who we are right now. This is the sum of who we are. And especially as somebody who grew up uh, evangelical Christian, I'm rooting for the evangelical Christian church. I I care what happens. And that 81% of the white people there voted for Trump, it it felt like being stabbed a little. Yeah. Because it meant that all the people that I knew growing up, 81% of those people voted for this guy. And they're the ones that taught me how to be a person. They're the ones who warned me about people like him, Hmm. you know? And so I feel like I ran into a lot of people who you could just see that, some version of that. You know, women, a lot of women that I ran into, certainly, you know, anybody who was gay or trans, they just felt like, and or people of color. I mean, it, there are just people who you could tell felt exposed. And yeah. And they, they felt in harm's way, in a new way. And it was palpable at times. Other times, it just felt normal. And you could even forget that you were living in that moment if you were just, you know, if I was, I picture a show and- Bakersfield on that tour we had like a harrowing show it was really heavy and then we all stood around in the backyard and smoked weed or drank and smoked cigarettes or whatever everybody was doing and um, they were just all friends from that place who were on different sides of this issue some of them maybe the minority Trump supporters but still these were all people who'd known each other since they were kids and so you get who you get you know and uh, we could joke around and just forget about that for a minute. Yeah, if nothing else,
0: they grew up going to Pedro the Lion on yeah. shows, right? This is so. like a,
1: if if it happens to be a town where there's like a vein of old Pedro fans or whatever, then yeah. that's. But also, there's just however many people are there in some small towns, like they all know each other because there's only twenty thousand people in the town total, and so it was. It's really fun in those situations to. Just to have the privilege of being, sort of an honored guest in these people's little c- communities of, yeah. and not like they go to church together necessarily, but they did at one time, or they went to school together, but they're still bound, you know, by something. And so I, it was, I got to see expressions of the grief and the disappointment, but also some of the hints at. What might?
0: Yeah, I would imagine those groups wouldn't be totally homogenous. No, so, definitely not. And you think about um, there's two things that it makes me think of. One is music as a yeah. bridge builder. True, because hey, you know everybody likes Taylor Swift, uh, or yes, people from okay. <laughs> people from all people from all that's right sides of the aisle like Taylor Swift. I'm more of a Carly Rae Jepsen man my, myself, but yeah. Uh, And then the second thought is that I think hospitality is maybe one of the actions that bridges the gap. Yeah. You know, you, you start seeing these articles popping up too, like everywhere, like Trump supporters and Clinton supporters had dinner together and here's what happened. Yeah, Like, of course, when they had dinner together, it's when it got good. Right. Because that's like, that's
1: the only point at which you could, yeah, anything could happen.
0: Right. So, so what did you see? Did you actually, I would imagine that a lot of these people are, not completely at ease when they're in your presence because if they're the type of person who paid money to come see you play. Yeah. It's it's a little different than a peer relationship. Yeah. As much as you might try to make it oh, sure. one. But and I and how could I ever know <laughs> right. what the difference would be? Right. You yeah, you wouldn't know. So but did you get to see any of this like I mean here are these groups of people. They've come together, they've known each other, they come to see you play and hang out with you. Uh, the election just happened. Is yeah. politics coming up? These conversations are they staying away from it?
1: It tended to come up at least a little bit in every show, and I also just had it on the brain at different points because yeah. they were depending on the day. You know, if you have the time for it, there are fresh new offenses every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <You know? laughs> pretty much. Yeah, and so yeah, there, certain times it would it would come up. And I think my there might have been one or two shows where I just kind of plowed through the material and tried not to to dwell on it. But I was also trying to find my place yeah. in it too and understand what is possible here. Like, what <laughs> what might happen? Should an artist in 2017 be
0: more attuned to particular things or does the role of art not change at all?
1: I feel like if you're not just totally out of whack as a person, that your subconscious is still sort of on the... We each have sort of an original mission, I feel like, or an original set of impulses in terms of how we want to interact or our desires to, to be a part or to help. And I feel like that those can get sidetracked from time to time, but that they're deep, they're deep in there somehow there are also differences in of opinion about about that stuff some people just don't have space for the, my the tone of what i do at all and yeah. other people it's like yeah it's good sometimes and so, if if a certain person is like, it's kind of like a food bank, like oh, I totally skip past Bazan songs, yeah. if it's not the right mood, yeah, yeah, it's like a food bank. Like the food bank is totally necessary, but not for everybody all the time, right? I don't know. Something about my upbringing made me aware of the least comfortable person in the room. That in, in any in any group of people, there's somebody that is just having a terrible go, and they're isolated in that. And for some reason, as I'm scanning that, I just my brain always goes to that that person, and I want to I want to help, you know. And so,
0: so if we could make a metaphor out of that, mm-hmm. we might say that it would be easy for you, especially these days, to find the trans people, the undocumented immigrants, or the people whose friends are undocumented, or whatever. Like like the people who are. Sort of obviously left out by Trumpism, right? Um, have you thought at all, though, about the people whose prior being left out led to Trumpism? Sure, um,
1: I because that's a different kind of a left out. Well, I guess I, I guess I wonder. I grew up, you know, lower lower middle class. I mean, I'm I'm that. I'm that person who like all my family is white working class people my my mm-hmm. grandpa was a a pipe fitter like we come from blue collar folks. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Somehow that triggers something in me. Well,
0: I I would argue both parties have left these people behind. Absolutely. So I'm not it's not a it's not partisan to say that wages have been stagnant for only one sector of American society and that is white men without a college degree. Right. They've risen for everybody else. And that's really the fault of that's been over a 30 year period. It's the fault of both
1: parties. It's the fault of everybody. I I agree and my grievances are the same. I, I just feel like that what we did was throw gasoline on the fire.
0: But not in not intentionally by everyone. And so I what I'm trying to ask you about is the person in the corner of the room yeah. who's having a rough go of it that person might throw a lot of gasoline on a fire in their own personal lives or politically or whatever. I'm kind of wondering, in your thinking, just because I know, I just know already that you're politically pretty liberal, Yeah, I wonder if you've thought, if you've kind of trained that laser much in your own mind or even artistically in in
1: newer material on those people. So here's the thing. When people are doing this thing that you're saying... When people are reacting against whatever. When people yeah. are sabotaging themselves okay. in their lives. Yep. And we all do it to certain degrees. Yeah. Some of us do it more often than others. And so it depends on, at a certain point, if you're in a relationship with somebody and you've had the conversation and they understand what's going on and they keep doing it over and over again you don't even have a choice to a certain degree of of the degradation that happens there because you lose respect for that person naturally they keep doing it. at the same time pretty soon if they say it enough times i'm gonna change i realize i'm hurting myself this is problems i'm bringing on myself they say it five six seven times pretty soon their word doesn't mean anything yeah. Um, these are real dynamics that are now blown up in the thing. We, you know, th- the data has been clear for decades that white working class people who vote Republican are voting against their own economic interests. It happens again and again. They're sold something. And, and, and this is just the most clear example of it voting for Trump. But it isn't like that. We talk about intentionality it's not like that there weren't messages that were explaining those things to people. They just stubbornly didn't want to listen to that. So I am very skeptical of that line of reasoning.
0: And partly because of that skepticism, I read Strangers in Their Own Land by Mm -hmm. Arlie Hochschild. I don't know that book. She's like a social scientist and an author. And she went and lived among tea partiers for like six months and wrote this book. Um, and really tried to get to this, like what seemed to her to be this paradox. It seemed to be on its face as v- voting against one's own interest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she went to kind of like the epicenter of the paradox, Louisiana tea party or voters who are voting, who are like the most polluted. They live with the most pollution in America because mm-hmm. tons of chemical oh, plants and stuff yeah. are down in Louisiana. And they are voting actively and going to town hall meetings and like advocating beyond simply their vote for relaxed restrictions on chemical companies. Mm -hmm. Many of them literally live a mile from one and smell the burning plastic or whatever. Many of them have had the bayou, like the lake that their house is on. Mm -hmm. You can't swim in it anymore. They used to fish out of it. And they still believe this because it's part of a larger meta narrative that they're that they're in.
1: Sure, but and so what I'm saying is the there is a there is the fact that they are voting against their own interests. Certain interests of theirs, right? So for instance,
0: they're voting against their pub, their personal bodily health. Yes. But they're not necessarily voting against their peace of mind if they have strong moral beliefs about who like for instance, perhaps these people would it would ruin their lives to rely on government assistance for instance, mm-hmm. and yet their mean, lives would yeah, it would psychologically ruin their lives yet materially it would benefit them to have some more programs. But it, it is hard. I think f- having read that mm-hmm. book and we don't have to litigate this all day long, but <laughs> I, I'm a little bit more hesitant to just throw that line down voting against their interests because interests are varied. You know, I would happily take a job that paid me less money for X, Y, and Z
1: yeah, you know what I, mean? if, I guess I it's the it. interest that they're complaining about. So what we're talking about okay. at the beginning of this conversation is that white working class men, their wages have stagnated. And if that is a complaint of theirs, then it is one of their interests. And in that specific sphere, white working class men who vote Republican have voted for people who have made that worse for them. Um, Sure. And so that is a very specific sense in which so a white working class guy who you see at the bar all the time, who's a loudmouth about this and a loudmouth about that, consistently is voting against his own economic interest in terms of his own wages, his own ability to buy real goods. Yeah. So at a certain point, it becomes the responsibility of the person with the information to figure out how to how do you then convey that information and it it would seem more than ever that that narrative is the way to do that now we're back around because to the artist that is that is the only thing that penetrates um yeah.
0: well, and, and trump had a very
1: simple straightforward narrative he did and man we have been bad we're gonna be good yeah we're gonna be strong we've been weak yeah if you are sort of in your isolated perspective as a human and don't sort of just expand out just a touch, it's easy to to buy into that. But so that's that's another thing is that this sort of is another angle at this thing, and I've it's come up in different different ways. But at what point do you sh- stop shunning the abuser? Whose job is it to sort of comfort the abuser who has been cast out? correctly Hmm. from a situation or at what point if so because like I know people who whose online lives were sort of exposing abuse in the church for instance yeah and people would sort of say well where's your grace for the abuser and it's like okay well I hear what you're saying but first we have to protect these kids (laughs) or first we need to protect these you know these women or these people of color so that's great love that but I want to delineate between
0: the abuser, a singular individual who's made particular choices, yes. and the abusers when we're using identity politics to to put a big label on a whole group of
1: people. Just pri- anybody yeah. who misunderstands their privilege is what you're saying. So if we call anybody who misunderstands their privilege an abuser, that that's too that's too broad. It, it and seems not, too broad. But I don't yeah. mean to I yeah. don't mean to say that. Sure. But just trying to figure out but there is those are ingredients in, in the conundrum because sometimes there is, there is willful abuse. Sure, yeah. And often there is the threat of abuse because two classes of people have a history of interaction. And those sorts of things are so sometimes intractable while you're trying to solve this other problem. Um, it maybe is unrelated to that, but there's just a lack of trust there. Yeah, And on the one hand, the lack of trust, if you have been in a class of people who's been sort of abused, that's understandable when you're in a class of people who's just always hated another class of people for whatever reason, not because you've been abused, but because you have prejudice against them or somebody has sort of stoked your fear about them. Um, Those are easily confusable sensations. Yeah, and clickbait articles can sort
0: of hit both of those and three or four others, and every paragraph switched to something else. I read this article the other day, for instance, like how the new Christian left is
1: distorting the gospel. Oh, yeah.
0: Did you read that article
1: or Um, saw it? Somebody, yeah, somebody posted that. Yeah, and he was talking about, Was it the one that was talking about the emergent church he kept on? This was a female uh, author and and she was kind
0: of just saying, well, so the funny thing about it was she never identified who the new Christian left was. She never identified what the gospel is or how it was being twisted. Right. So everything in the the title was not in there, but it it just jumped from fear mongering to fear mongering to fear mongering to fear mongering. It's like, we know the Hollywood liberalist agenda is out to get us. We know, guess what? Some of these kids will listen to their school friends instead of their pastors. Right. And there was like no specifics. There, there was just, it was like five pages long and it jumped from fear to fear to fear and to fear. And it only
1: just was doing that. Yeah,
0: All of it was just like, hey, run of the mill, conservative, older Christian, right. be afraid Of the youth. These are the new hell in a handbasket kind of. Yes. And in fact, the only piece of data we had for who the new Christian left might be, because she did not mention a single writer or church or (laughs) anything, was just the stock photo of two 20-somethings with like tattoos and beanies. Yeah. So like that's the only amazing. clue we have, well they probably look like yeah. hipsters
1: or whatever and and that was the only clue given. That's such a funny thing. But it's I the mean, same thing, right? Yeah. Because of the just sheer amount of dubious behavior that is now happening in the Trump administration, it's easier for it's it's even very easy for liberal people to just get in that zone, or anybody who's like actually trying to to unpack the news for real, because every article is triggers this like the outrage fear. machine.
0: That's what my buddy calls it. Yeah, yeah. And,
1: and and the the thing is, is so how do you if actual outrageous things are happening every single day, what what happens to those? Yeah, I mean that's actually part of the strategy of Bannon's you know mentors and and things yeah. is just like it's kind of that shock and awe like Spicer that first day is just like all right bald faced lie to start this yeah. is the first one first day and here's the biggest one the crowd sizes <laughs> were the same everybody can see it and so there's this yeah. feel of just like okay now they're going to just try to and so I'm speaking obviously from a my very specific political perspective but there is this sense of Wanting to just desensitize. And you and one does get that way. And so trying to figure out, okay, some days I get on there and like if the wrong series of, of articles came through, I just get spun up so easily. Yeah. And then later on when the adrenaline goes away, like I look back at the tweet that came from it and, you know, I mean, one out of three times I take it down. I just am like, now that the adrenaline's gone, it seems somehow wrong you mean if you take your own tweet down that caused yeah. some yeah that just terror. was was a an expression of adrenaline yeah, of, yeah. Or, or of like all of those things and sometimes they they work and i'm glad that i did them and sometimes yeah. they don't
0: and uh, not yeah. for
1: people just for me like i just yeah. sometimes i get p- plenty of encouragement and i still take the thing down because i just feel like that's not what i want to have out there.
0: Yeah, so I I, <laughs> I I think I've followed you on Twitter for a while. So I, I had Twitter pretty early on and, and uh, this one sticks in my mind for some reason. <laughs> years and years ago, you posted some link and then you said F-ing evolve was your <laughs> tagline on it. And when I thought to have you as a guest on Depolarize, I thought of that tweet, of F-ing evolve. <laughs> and so I want to ask you about depolarization here because to be frank, yeah. you know, I wouldn't consider you one of the pros. I would consider you more of an advocate. Yes, I am an advocate. You're an advocate. Um, and so I want to ask you, and you know, we don't have to agree on all of this. I think that psychology and sociology give me really strong reasons to doubt my ability to know who to advocate for mm-hmm. at least beyond sort of obvious ones like sure. persecuted people or right. you know whatever and so that leads me to want to depolarize mm-hmm. because i just think hey i have confirmation bias i have i take part in like group homogeneity mm-hmm. distortion whatever it's called where where you think that everybody in your group is unique you think people in the other group are all the same mm-hmm. I know I, I have a human brain, so I know I succumb to these things. So therefore, I want to encourage myself to cross the aisle, you know, look at look at the other person, and 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 maybe even spend more time trying to understand a Trump voter, for instance, than than trying to understand a fellow Hillary voter or something like right. that. What what do you think the place of depolarization is? Do you feel like you have any part in it, or should or shouldn't, or
1: whatever? I think that it is that it's great. Phew. Oh I man, mean, I was so nervous there. <laughs> I definitely I have many my thoughts are all sort of slamming into each other. Yeah, I mean I, I don't necessarily So here's here's the thing with the way that my sort of brain and my my mission or whatever it works. I have none. Um I <laughs> There's no one behind the curtain. There's nothing um yeah. the This all happened without really knowing it. But I have always been such a distracted person. And I remember being a kid and being in church and thinking, could you just boil it down to like three things? Like I'm having a hard time focusing on all this stuff you're telling me. Um, Should have been Catholic, man. Just the homily. Yeah. So much simpler. But I mean, just, and it wasn't just on Sunday. It was just like, Every time you go to a different meeting, they're highlighting some aspect of mm-hmm. the faith that you need to, and don't forget to focus on this, and don't forget to focus on this. And I remember thinking, like, I can't focus on any of this stuff. So I had this sense that, like, I'm just going to focus on what I focus on. And so I want to to slowly mature into the kind of person that that coupled with my very firm belief in that idea of you are whoever you are when no one's looking that's that's who you are yeah and you know my buddy David Dark talks about it but I also heard about it in Bible college when I was a kid just like you can say what you believe but with the transcript of everything you say all the things that you do in your leisure time your receipts like just the sum the script of your life that is unfolding behind you if you tease that that you know that guano out <laughs> you're gonna find yeah. what you actually believe and so right. i just at some point decided i just want to be the person i want to basically pursuing art and creativity and that as my vocation yeah it made it to where i could just rely on the default of sort of what i am and what i continue to do and if i'm listening and growing in empathy then that felt like i could sort of lean on my defaults because i really wasn't capable of having an intention besides just my default mm, yeah like when i was a kid in eighth grade i want, all my buddies read the sporting green i lived in the bay or and near santa cruz and so the san francisco Chronicle sports page is called the sporting green or maybe i don't know if i'm remembering that right even but and i wanted so i thought that's awesome i want to do that that's that's what i want my identity to be you want to write the sporting green. no i wanted to oh. just read it i just wanted to like keep up <laughs> with sports cuz i yeah. never naturally did but i saw them doing it and i i didn't want to to do it to be like them that was just sort of like a a ritual that i wanted to have and so i got it a few times and i couldn't read through it once I, cuz i didn't care yeah right. i didn't care about it and so i feel like well so i have certain impulses certain cares that i that i can look at and think these promote health or these are positive things and other things that are maybe negative that you you try to you know work through or grow past but the positive ones i think okay i'm just gonna these ones are on limits and i know that if i kind of go all the way with them that it's gonna be that it's it's meant to be helpful and I can evaluate if it's helpful. And so all that to say, I don't know what my role is. Yeah. And that may sound irresponsible in my thinking, endless, endless thinking about it and talking and whatever. I feel like in some ways it's sort of the Socratic notion of against the devil's advocate, you know, in the most pure form I know how to sort of live it, which is just like, I don't know if I'm right or wrong at any given time, but if somebody comes to me and says, "This is messed up, man," I always listen and and then absorb that that thing. Yeah, I include it in my computing. Right. You know. Yeah. The, it's part of the data now, and I think okay, that's another way in which I because and it and it might sound like I'm I'm easy on myself, like oh yeah, you're good. Kind of thing. Yeah, I am not that way. I'm like racked with self loathing, and I'm very, very, very hard on myself, which is a big problem, <laughs> you know. And it's not it's not one of, it's the it's one of the traits that is is worst about me. But yeah, one of the things you're trying to get past, yeah, yeah, because it's just it hurts the people that I live with. Yeah, because um, then I'm hard on them. But all of that to say, I don't know what my my role is in it. I just try to respond to the stimuli especially as a as somebody who has a public with my public work as honestly as I know how or as just honoring the possibility that more people could understand that there could be more understanding in the world you know yeah and when i think of understanding i feel like it's maybe This is wrong. It's sort of between people and reality, but it's really just between people and people. Yeah. Um, But I do, because I grew up Christian, I sort of have that feeling of like there is a reality that exists outside of our perception. That's sort of like a Christian idea. And you're sort of trying to grow your perception to sort of match it. Like you don't understand God all the way, for instance. Well, plenty of you know, plenty of philosophers believe that anyone who's a realist, even if they're not religious, yeah. And I and I don't, I won't disbelieve it now, but I realize that I err on that side of things. That's one way to think about the way that understanding and information work. Hence, evolve, evolve, you get to the point where
0: you can understand the true state of things. In yeah, other words, yeah. or
1: that you can get closer to it, but also, in some senses, that that's at least not all of it because everybody's understanding of reality is going to be imperfect at to some degree. And we also have to relate to one another, which is what you're saying. It's kind of where I'm, that's kind of what I'm pushing on is, yeah. is it seems
0: to me that from what I have learned of cognitive theory and social psychology and, and whatnot is, is that our own perceptions and intuitions are not as reliable as we think they are because they evolved to help us survive they did not evolve to help us figure out exactly the truth of the
1: matter no and i think the impulse there is to figure out like if there is problems that we're trying to solve some of those feel existential um some of those problems feel like that they have what do you mean if not an existential if not or what kind of problems do you mean well, the problems like social problems that we have, where there's like systemic racism, yeah. that you know, so trying to figure out those problems, it does you you sort of appeal upward toward the theoretical, you know, to to understand. I, I mean, and naturally, because a lot of people having these conversations are having them in the context of the Christian tradition, which, yeah, um, but the realists and the you know and the advocates and and I, I guess I realized in that moment when I used the word understanding that what I meant, what I mean more times than not, is understanding reality mm-hmm. rather than understanding one another. One another,
0: yeah. And so that's a bit of a red flag. <laughs> and even. so
1: that's yeah. Um, and I do think that there's a balance there because sometimes the problems that we have between each other can be solved by illumination of yeah. some dynamic, but sometimes those dynamics aren't going to stay unilluminated and we just have to figure out how to get along
0: I just want to briefly call your guys attention to two things number one you're probably tired of hearing this but there is a patreon campaign that supports this show financially so if you think this is good work and you'd like to help out financially You can go to patreon.com slash depolarize or depolarizepodcast.com and there's a link there that says become a patron. Starts at only $3 a month and it really helps me cover my costs. Secondly, just be on the lookout. We don't have a launch date yet, but my second podcast, Reconstruct, which will be co-hosted by my friend John Rains, that's coming soon. The website is already live. You can go to reconstructpodcast.com. We've got a couple essays up there including an introduction essay which explains what that show is going to be and what our guiding principles are for that show. I'm really excited. Uh, the feedback that we've gotten so far has been really good. And you should expect that in the next month, maybe a month and a half, to be hitting the podcast app. Again, that's called Reconstruct. And you can see a little bit of what we're doing at ReconstructPodcast.com. So that is like a, that's a perfect segue into this next question I have, which is kind of long. Sure. Just so, you know, I got to kind of set it up. Perfect. Uh, I find myself thinking about this lyric of yours mm-hmm. all the time, uh, more and more these days. It's from the song Curse Your Branches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here's the lyric. Why are some hell bent upon there being an answer? While some are quite content to answer, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Now, I assume that the context of this lyric is about faith, mostly. Yeah. um, Because that record is all about faith. But I've also been thinking about, like, the big questions of geopolitics Mm -hmm. or these social issues. Like, for instance, would it have been better, all things considered, for Trump to get elected, have the Danish guy Geert Wilders lose... Maybe have France France reject Le Pen mm-hmm. and the National Front, and then have Trump fail. Or would it have been better for Hillary to win? Mm-hmm. But then, and then maybe safeguard some liberties, care for some oppressed right. people, that be a better president. But then, what would happen if she won? Would the Netherlands and France? Have gone the Brexit way right. in reaction? Would the EU break up? Right. The point just being, when you go a couple steps out like that, yeah. you you absolutely cannot know the answer to that question. Yeah. So I've been thinking about this lyric. I'm definitely the type of person who is, quote, hell-bent on there being an answer. Yeah. I am not the type who's <laughs> content with answering. I don't know. And I assume that you are as well. You're speaking of yourself as someone who's constantly searching and constantly thinking through these
1: things. Yeah, I can explain the distinction there, but it, in the sphere that we've been talking about, in the sphere of the lyric, I meant was sort of maybe letting me off the hook uh, with metaphysical: does God exist? Mm-hmm. Is why are we here? Sort of stuff. Yeah. That saying I don't know to that stuff is is what I'm cool with. Is okay. The stuff that I am obsessed with are the the earthbound. But so what's interesting to me
0: is it seems like even you're coming to the place of giving yourself the freedom to say, I don't know how a good God could permit evil or suffering, or I don't know how the Holocaust could be let to happen, or I don't know why there's something and not nothing. Mm -hmm. You only got to that place because you were the first kind of person for 20 years Asking those questions, yeah, and you were hell bent on there being an answer, and you discovered there was no answer, perhaps,
1: or that if there is an answer, at that point in time specifically, I had this sense that in trying to crunch all of those things, I just realized if there is a being on the other side of this who's seeing this, they know this is this is not possible. How could they? They know that no one's gonna like crunch the data right and get the right answer. Yeah, that this isn't something that that a sane person would want their offspring or anybody to sit and do these yeah, acrobatics that it's just so unnecessary. Well, whether or not that's true for
0: religion, I want to sort of ask you, but is is that maybe true for politics too?
1: I mean, I don't know. So what you're saying is that when things do go the way that they go, which what's the you know when when there's action and reaction and the sort of massive chess game on a massive scale yeah. can the silver linings actually turn out better than than you thought in certain situations i don't know about that and that's something i'm i'm happy to talk about what i think is that in a given case you want justice to happen that there is there tends to be a way to understand the facts of a situation. If there's a dispute between people and a wise person who has been, who has studied and has been charged with this role can adjudicate a matter. And that, that is the basis of justice. And so in this issue of Trump and Le Pen and all these people, that small issue, that small building block of it being sort of, multiplied out and in the case of Trump and all those other guys it's just so happens that more than half the time at least that decision got adjudicated incorrectly is my take on it is why we're dealing with outcomes that are so negative and so my my issue is like look I don't all of that is the it's just what it's the aggregate or whatever this I don't know what the statistical actual word is but all of that is sort of the the far down the road result yeah. of like you're saying at the beginning, like Trump is just sort of the embodiment of our current. I, I sometimes just think he's like, of course we got Trump as yeah, president. Yeah, sometimes yeah. I really feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree. Yeah. But that w- the thing that I'm most interested in and I, because I link these two things, well, I guess my interest in all of it is that just like, could, could we just get a judge as it were not like an actual judge, you know judge in a court but like could we get justice in these situations could we have reliable service people who do their jobs well and don't discriminate against people that don't look like them and don't have a history of this kind of stuff like could we start moving th- this and it's just per incident
0: yeah i think i think where i push back on my own sort of ocd kind of yeah. add thing about all of this probably more add than ocd is that okay? Like, if I lived in North Carolina, mm-hmm. I would be going to the Moral Mondays marches, yeah, because it seems yeah. pretty clear to me what the Republican there, Party right. is trying to keep black people from voting,
1: right? So, there's evidence, there's a lot of evidence. The
0: Supreme Court of North Carolina, in fact, ruled that way. Yeah. <laughs> I would be there, right? Um, I will be there on the tax day march, yeah. I will be marching, yeah, because I think it matters. That we have financial transparency from yeah. our commander in chief. Um, but I have a harder time with like really big global or even national level. It, it is harder for me to know which of those things. Right. In my personal life, the people I run into, it's much more clear to me how to love my neighbor, or how to whatever. That's, yes. But so, but there's this, this lyric gets at this thing in my head of like, yeah. but I wanna know it all. I want the abstract picture of the whole
1: political universe, and you know that I think that that if hopefully if we're being honest with ourselves all the time, that we're able to make that distinction, and that's a distinction that is healthy to make, is that on the ground, the the most important thing is that I participate in as many things going the just way as possible, yeah, amongst my family and my f- my friends, and that that is job number 1 of a of a justice minded person and that's where you know growing up in church and seeing even just on that communal level how just certain episodes would go the wrong way and you see how kind of gnarly people can be yeah. in those situations and that's where in my mind i see a person like trump and it's like oh i've been i went to church with a guy like that you know, and that's maybe just sort of my prejudice. Well, it is my prejudice um, against guys like that. But there is sort of an intuition that goes along with some of those things. And that's where we make those leaps of like, well, of course, this feels wrong, and this feels wrong, and this outcome is wrong. But to make that distinction between, you're basically just sort of hypothesizing off of you know, your direct experience, what you know
0: from being much closer to people. And then you
1: have these people in power and you're, you're sort of assuming that, you know, yeah, that you understand how that works. And part of that is changed now because even a guy like Trump is much more tactile. I was just going to say, I think it's actually
0: so much easier to tell what Trump is like than most politicians. Yeah. For instance, I don't think I know almost anything about Hillary Clinton's true self. No, she, she is a politician
1: in the old it's model. the old, the old model. Um, and,
0: and, mo, and you know, we might be learning right now that Trump's
1: model doesn't work. I mean, right. it's backfiring on him in well, crazy if, if, ways. If somebody were, I mean, in a sense, I think that we probably kn- knew Barack Obama better than, certainly better than Hillary. I think Definitely he was more his genuine self. Trump is just so utterly undisciplined. As a public, he just person. lets everything slip. Yeah, it's all like, right there. For he you to see. he's disciplined. He is as disciplined as I am. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm like a, a stoner artist or whatever like yeah. that, whose job isn't really dependent on speaking in public. Yeah, although I could Michael Richards myself at any moment. I'm sure if, <laughs> if I. I mean, not with saying that, but just with saying yeah. something inappropriate. Um, yeah. But yeah, he he's a, he like I often think like. That he, what he's doing is like, if I if I get really high before I have to do something, what he is attempting to achieve here is I know that feeling. Or like before when I used to, I used to drink a lot before I played shows up until about 2006. And that's more specifically what it reminds me of is yeah. whenever he's talking in front of people, I think, oh, he's barely holding on to the plot. He's yeah. di- like he, he is... A bizarre person for us to all be subject to
0: there's a there's a legitimate worry that he has a personality disorder of some sort and i don't you know we don't talk about that a lot on this show and i i'm not an expert um but i I was pretty troubled by watching his like tour of the oval office uh the white house after he was inaugurated (laughs) um and there have been some other like the press conference i mean it's that was crazy it's worrisome yeah Um, but apparently apparently there was one today too, which I haven't, I haven't seen that. I I, I, I think
1: I heard little bits. My relationship with Twitter, I should say is really, um, kind of hot and cold. (laughs) Sometimes I just get on there and I, and I feel like if I go there, I really am not in control of what happens
0: physiologically. I have a direct correlation between Twitter and depression. Like I, I can see it clearest day
1: interesting yeah and and um have you changed up your following habits in a way that can affect it have you is that a thing I mean it's you know' basically I've more just, just trying
0: I've just tried to limit the amount of time that I spend on it per day or per week yeah. and focus more on I read the New York Times daily briefing when that comes yeah in the evenings and then I might click on a few articles I have an economist subscription so I'll sometimes read half of an economist issue yeah. and then i have a few friends i discuss politics with who are level-headed and then i man twitter is like when i need a serotonin fix yeah or a dopamine hit and that's what worries me so much about it it's like and so is your
1: twitter um very it's political politics yeah. almost everything yeah i got right sucked now, into that i i had like a i had a strange time last year kind of a negative i was bummed i had a i was really depressed i think at the end of the year and I just unfollowed everybody on Twitter that I was following. I just thought, I need to change. I don't want to give this up totally. This is a, something that I still want. So I just unfollowed everybody to kind of give myself a break and as sort of an announcement of just like every like I'm not the same on here maybe. And so then I've started following people back, but it was in the wake of the Trump Right after I did that, Trump got elected. (laughs) And then it was like, okay, well, now I need to know about politics. I need to know what's going to happen to my family. Like, is this... Well, you being a uh,
0: white middle-class man in Washington, maybe nothing will happen to your family. Nothing,
1: but just like my daughter, like, is she going to, you know, like, are they going to have to seriously consider not having children because the future is so dystopian. Uh, oh, man. You know?
0: I, I've only gone that dark a few days. I, I well, will so say... Well, so Twitter yeah. helped
1: me yes. pull back from yeah, that exactly. a little Twitter bit. Yeah, exactly. Twitter can... yeah, Because the reality, as harsh as it is, is still like, okay, at least the, there's some sort of bumbling about it. There appears to be some sort of bumbling about it. It's not this super...
0: We did not elect
1: execution. Machiavelli. No, no. Well, Bannon I think maybe wants to be that, but, but I don't. Bannon's not Trump, right? So and and at the end of the day, people did elect Trump, and so he's going to be the one out there. Yeah, he, and I
0: think already we're seeing you know that the courts are doing their jobs. Wonderful. Um, it's just wonderful. You know, Lindsey Graham and John McCain still have support for support from their constituents despite Absolutely. standing up. I mean, it's not. I mean, my worries are more form foreign policy in the wake of a tragedy or a potential war. Yes, and if there's a conflict here,
1: if there's some sort of event here, God forbid. Yeah, but um, it
0: does seem like American democracy
1: is holding up
0: at least decently under the pressure of Trump. Yeah, it's responding.
1: The, The town halls are encouraging because I don't believe for a second that it's all... Like plants. I think that there are there are real people. Oh, you mean paid protesters? No, not, of paid, course not. not even paid protesters, but just like dudes like me who are showing up at their. I mean that it's actually their constituents. It's actually the people in those places. Yeah, I most people are not of, driving 200 miles to a different town hall. No, there you would it, go to the one near you. Yeah, yeah, and so it's all these people, and and you know, in these largely Republican areas, it's a lot of Republican people who are saying, look. This isn't what we signed up for. And God bless all those people. Like, I agree. And if this is the moment when everybody can realize, like, oh, because right now also we're seeing what the GOP wanted to do the whole time. Yeah, well, that's what we're seeing from the Paul Ryan cohort. Yeah, yeah. and that is the Tea Party sort of influence. And I think that now that they're going to be able to – at least publish the way that they want. That there's a lot of Republican people who are say, "Okay, I thought that was just that wasn't the big tent that I <laughs> that yeah. I thought it was." Yeah, um, this is a narrow. Well, that's basically
0: that's basically the hole that I think there is now for moderates. Yeah, moderates in the true sense. Yeah, and you know, to answer my question that I asked you earlier, I feel part of my calling is to sort of focus on that kind of a political that, moderation
1: yeah,
0: and, and then see what can be done. You know, like I, if I, like, if I gave money to any politician right now, it'd be John McCain.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, even though I'm not a Republican because I would want, if I was, if I was voting with my money right now, which I'm not giving any money to any po- right, politicians, right, right. but if I were, you know, if I had money and I was like, I would vote for John McCain's, yeah. the, his ability to cross the aisle while his side's in power, yeah, for things he thinks are important,
1: yeah, that's I, who
0: I would be supporting the most.
1: Well, and honestly, when he was running for president before he tapped Palin, if he would have, if he would have had a vice president that was even a little bit qualified, yeah, for that role, I mean, I still would have voted for Barack Obama once that happened. But in a Clinton versus McCain situation. I would have had to seriously consider McCain. I probably still would have voted for Clinton. I definitely... Her track record with banking and all this stuff is... That's a big issue to me. Always has been for 18 years. Um, And like with Obama... I, I'm I'm disappointed. I was disappointed in Obama in terms of that those things. Uh, very yeah. very much. Well, um, you should definitely check out the Matt Stoller and David Dan episodes of this show. You might like those. Yeah, I will. But yeah, he he is as corrupt as anybody. Like I'm from Arizona. Like there's the stories are are the stories. But when you're there and you have the opportunity to to stand up for something that is right, I feel like that he's done it a few a few times more than some of his colleagues and that is the old see the unfortunately the reason why this whole thing is happening is because it's gotten so toxic and and one could point to newt gingrich's coup in the house of representatives back in the 90s it started this that and rush limbaugh are these two sort of toxic things that are now being woven through and we are having to have these debates that aren't actually the the real debates between the people involved who are republicans and democrats republicans and democrats i believe are much closer together than the hyper-partisan political uh, environment that has been created in washington and yeah i am going to say that obviously democrats are I, I'm disappointed in them but the real toxic windup has been coming from the right um, I don't know enough to confirm or
0: deny that claim <laughs> well and,
1: and people can come to their own conclusions about yeah. it but but be clear let me be clear about the distinction that is happening in po- in the on the political and sort of infotainment level yeah that that it's not being fueled by the people who are in either party, that the people in either party are way closer together and are just being kind of stoked up by people who are wanting power. But that activism, activism on both
0: sides is one of the major contributors to political polarization because people have dropped out of regular civic life. Mm -hmm. And so the people who stay in the parties are activists who have the fire to do it. They pull the parties further to the left or further to the right or whatever. People like myself say, "I'm not a Democrat or Republican. I'll just register as an independent." Yeah. Therefore, they don't vote in the primary. Yeah, and, they don't and have a moderating voice inside their own party. All these
1: things contribute. The two party system, even before this hyperpartisan, hyperpolarization, was had all of those problems. Yeah, but, it, but it's, it's, it's demonstrably
0: worse. Yeah, in the last way, thirty years, it's, it's way worse. It's gotten way worse, and uh, that's going to be interesting. So, I, I th- hopefully. And I think one of the solutions to that is people rejoining parties, yeah, and being a moderate influence within those parties. Yeah, I
1: unfortunately I, I think that that's true. It's it'd be great to get a or third moderate their, party or something, or, but it's not going to happen. Just to be your own, to represent your own views at those things. If you're if you're moderate, then be moderate. And yeah. if you're if you're you know less than moderate in either way, then being around all those moderate people just have. Uh, a leavening kind of yeah. effect, you yeah. know? no, totally. And and just being around people talking about this stuff and not being online talking about it has yeah. an effect. So you mentioned David Dark, mm-hmm.
0: and I just interviewed him last week. Actually. Is that yeah. right? I did. And I knew that you guys were friends just because you oh, man. Twitter and stuff, and I'm yeah. a nerd. And I asked him to ask, to tell me something to ask you. <laughs> and he told me to ask you, What gives you hope? What have you clung to for encouragement? Um, What a good buddy. First of all, let's just
1: say that. He's a, he's a wonderful man. Um, Seeing empathy happen and seeing people repent, seeing people turn and see how they've hurt somebody and ask for forgiveness. Those, that, that's the, that's the turning point of the, of the whole thing. And so, there was a an episode of This American Life, a radio show that I've liked for a long time, where Lindy West wrote to somebody who had said, not just said something, but had created this whole Twitter account to mock her grief about her dad dying in retaliation for... He was sort of maybe coming from a men's rights activist yeah. sort of perspective, and she is a feminist voice amongst other things. She's just a human. She's a very gifted writer. And, but so she reached out to him directly and said, Hey, I know you're not supposed to like talk to your trolls or whatever, but I just needed to let you know, like this destroyed me. Like I've never been hurt so bad by something that another human being did or something to this effect. Just really being vulnerable and saying what you did just really, It was it hurt me bad. Yeah. And he apologized. And there's this whole exchange between them where after he apologizes they talk and they record the conversation and I'm sitting there listening to it and I'm sobbing because I just think it's possible. Yeah. You know, it's possible. You see it, it can happen. And so the you know, the new record reflects that a little bit um the turn to to some degree there's epiphanies that kind of happen throughout it to the to the singer <laughs> and there's also little stabs at like empathy and just saying like you know i think empathy is the way that this is going to unravel that you could actually you know understand the hurt that you cause yeah one of my hopes is that uh, especially people who
0: consider themselves christian or religious One of the things that I keep going back to is Jesus saying, love your enemies. And uh, that has such a depth to it because it's kind of like, especially for people on the left who are more activists, Mm -hmm. who really identify with some of these people groups that are feeling really attacked, whether or not they are being attacked actually, but even if they are just feeling that way, When someone you disagree with Mm -hmm. starts acting specifically against your interest, that is when they become your enemy. Mm -hmm. And that is when you're told, especially, to love them. Yeah. And I think that that's like, it's pretty revolutionary if we actually took that to heart. Uh, Because a lot of people will push back and say, there's no time right now to love the person on the right or whatever.
1: Well, and I mean, I guess you. Activism takes a lot of forms, I guess. If you're looking at Martin Luther King Jr. and the way that they did that, there was... I wonder how one could square that with Love Your Enemies. They chose nonviolence yeah, because it could be argued because it was the most effective, not because it as an
0: expression of love. I don't know, man. His writings and speeches, I think, are pretty pretty i i don't i don't think there's a lot of ambiguity about that he he really believed in sort of a metaphysical sense mm-hmm. that hatred That's could true. never overcome hatred violence I, could never finally overcome violence
1: well and, and the strategy though being that if the if they were to a person pure in their actions toward their oppressors, that they would out their oppressors because their oppressor would always be the, the yeah. transgressor. Well, and that's and but that's back show. to
0: Jesus. I mean, yeah. if, if someone asks you to walk one mile, I'm sure you know the historical context of that is that the Roman army, who was occupying Palestine, yeah. was allowed to ask an Israelite. To walk or whatever so to walk to, one mile, Jesus says walk another. Yeah, and then they get embarrassed. Yeah, because now they're
1: breaking the law, and yeah. you're showing the absurdity yeah. of their power over you, quote unquote. Well, and so, and I guess that the the point is is that that's the it, one's mind goes to what does it look like to love your enemy? Yeah, in a conflict, and so then your mind goes to these yeah. situations, and I guess this is how it looks. This is sort of the, that's the model that we have. And if there's one beyond that, that is better, that is even more loving, it's hard to imagine.
0: Um, I think my angle on all of this is like, look, when it comes to resistance work, like I will nonviolently march on yeah, tax day. Yeah. But some people push back on me and say, when I say, hey, I think you might do well to understand the Trump voter. I I agree. And then they say, there's no time. I have too much work to do. And I think, you know, well, I think is understanding is part of loving your enemy.
1: Yeah. That is the work though. Yeah. I mean, it, it is helpful to, I, to, I understand the, the, your own position well enough to, to see, you know, glaring contradictions between your actions and your sort of held beliefs and all these things. That's all part of that thing. But the work is actually wham. You know, if, I mean, in the most crassest way, winning hearts and minds. Yeah. If your goal is really to, I mean, so, but that's the difference too is that ideally, I'm not interacting with another human being as a representative of some movement or a viewpoint against them, trying to win them over, but that I'm just, interacting with another human being on the basis of our shared humanness. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's not the right word. <laughs> humanity. Yeah, um, humanity. And that's the thing that you experience every day in a thousand different degrees with people is that sometimes you have and you have to evaluate like somebody at the mall says, "Hey," and you turn around and you realize, "Oh, that's not a hu- that's not somebody who's Communicating with me in their capacity as a human, they're mm. communicating with me in their capacity as a sprint employee who wants to sell me a phone, yeah, or whatever lotion sample, yeah, yeah. whatever, the- yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop for that. Um, <laughs> but and I think that the same dynamic happens that alt- when I'm an advocate, obviously my reason for being there is to advocate for this thing that I want. Yes, yeah. Can that advocacy be interrupted by a real human interaction? Interesting. And I think that it should be able to be.
0: You're a better salesman anyway, even if you want to think of it crudely. Yeah. The, the, the lotion salesman or whatever, who actually comments on my page with a lion t-shirt yeah. is doing a much better job of selling me lotion yeah.
1: Absolutely, because you know I mean? they're talking. Right. Yeah, and and really, to it's almost a trick of just trying to be together. Yeah. Like with my parents or with people's parents and families who are at odds with one another, there is common ground. I joked that, I mean, I screamed in my mom's face after Trump was elected. Like she is the person who taught me how to be wary of somebody like Trump. Directly from her, she's arguing why. You know none of that, and I and I'm, I'm so all my whole, not that I haven't made it my own, but th- it's this loss, you know, of my whole, like one of the premises of, of my system, of the basis of my system, is just false now. <laughs> it's just flipped. It doesn't. It's not the same uh, as it was because it was it was her. So I'm screaming at her. You're saying that's what led you to be so angry, I was so yeah. angry because yeah, that's exactly right, so I leave there, you know we kind of all make up, and my you know it's and my dad and my mom are on opposite sides of the trump okay. issue, usually they find themselves on the same side occasionally there'll be something that they don't vote the same on, you know, and so I leave there and I just realize like whatever the case is like that is not okay. Like this is, this is something you have to go back and fix. And so I went to five guys and I got her a milkshake cause I know <laughs> she likes milkshakes. Yeah. You know, I brought a milkshake back and I just hugged her and I said, I'm so sorry. Like these thoughts that I'm having are the most difficult thoughts, nearly the most difficult thoughts I've ever had. Um, I'm more disappointed than I've ever been. Um, about more things than I've ever been disappointed about at the same time, and all of that thinking was informed by things that you taught me, and now you're saying the other thing, and I, the it's, opposite, yeah, yeah, and i and I'm going and it makes me crazy it it short circuits my brain, you know, and she said, I know I you know me and your dad are at odds too, and I don't you know, and so we can talk about we can reconcile vaguely saying sorry basically like this is why my reaction was so intense and I understand that my reaction was intense because of this but past that there's no there's no reconciliation but that's if that's all we have we can have that and then share a milkshake or I know that I know what she likes it's like bringing somebody just a salve like trying to figure out how to so it's that always is the goal and it's always almost like a now holidays are a trick to hang out with family. Like yeah. that's that was always the obligation before but now when we have so little in common I cling to the holidays because it's an excuse to be together and to find middle ground, you know, to 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 talk about something else. Do you
0: have any tips for people You know, one one of the tips that I heard and use a lot is when you find that you disagree with someone really deeply, uh, ask them what the problem is that they think needs fixing. Right. That's so. Start there. That's so cool. Yeah, which I don't remember who I stole that from. But do you have anything else kind of in that vein that you've found helpful? Um, Because you you do you, you especially to bring it back to your touring. You know, you, you interact with a lot of people in yeah, a day yeah. and you don't know what they believe. No, about stuff. It, usually
1: people don't sh- tell you right away yeah. or if, if at all. And in but a, you
0: know, if they're a Trump voter and they're at your show that they probably feel somewhat embarrassed. Well, and so that's the thing, or thing or like is because I'm
1: in that situation, it changed. So that thing that I described to you usually doesn't. The, uh, where I'm aware of the person who's most uncomfortable in the room, usually it's not a white guy who, who's uncomfortable because they're voting for Trump and they realize that they're outnumbered. That's usually not the person historically since I was a kid who... But they, but that might be the but, guy now. But now it is. The, if, it at is, very yeah. many shows on the tour, especially before the election, there were situations, there was one show in Ohio specifically where... The poor guy, like he was, he, I mean, I I, I invited people to, to share their opinions and to have sort of like a a little bit of a back and forth. And he was sort of saying, well, like, a, well, a buddy of mine is concerned about like blah, blah, blah. And by the end of the thing, he was just like, he didn't all but say like, it's me, but like. I'm the buddy, yeah. But it was. And so at that point, you know, I am trying to calculate do I divide my... And probably what I did was attempt to divide my attention between my role as an advocate and my role as a host of this person who I care about. yeah. And I think the person... If there was only one person whose opinion mattered in that room about whether I got that balance right, it was his, in my opinion. Hmm. Um, although I'm curious, I, I'm curious to what degree, you know, in, uh, on average, in people's opinions, if I got it right. And to me, the, that is like I want to shine the light. I do think that that generally advocating, lifting up people's voices who uh, are. Underrepresented, or whatever you want to say, who are being hurt, um, whose voices are not the common voice, is the right thing to do, and I want to continue to do that, and I want to advocate for that. But I want it to be effective. I want, I, you know, I, I want the seed to land and to to find purchase. Furthermore,
0: there's a zoomed out and a zoomed in
1: way That's of right. looking at that. In the zoomed out picture,
0: sure. The white farmer is not the one who will be under the most duress in the next four years.
1: Well, per, I mean, maybe he could be, but if, if, yeah. if things stand as they are, he's not going to be the one, here. right? Yeah. He's
0: not going to be deported with his child, a citizen or, you, you know, know, whatever he might get but
1: squeezed. It, Economically, yes.
0: So. But in the but if in the micro of that room, yeah, you know, he's with a bunch of hipsters that he knows disagree with him and think that he just voted for yeah. the person who's going to end the world.
1: Well, and and he and is in this the case, guy. it was before the election, okay. after the election, and there was no shaming, but it was sort of trying to have like this shadow boxing, like sparth kind of event where you're not trying to land any kind of like real blow, but you're trying to say, look, I know there's pushback about this. And I think that we can clarify our thinking here. This guy is bad, like just straight up. And people's response is always, "But Hillary's, but Obama, but Hillary, yeah. What but about they're worse? Yeah." Um, and so in that moment, I'm I'm struggling. Like it really is important for me to to warn people. To Paul Revere ringing the bell, like, look, this is not going to go good. Uh, you know. Don't, I guess I'm just asking you to take my word for it or hear the things that I say and see if they're convincing to you. But that was a deep desire to communicate that. I wanted people to understand that because I believed that it was true and I still do. But But you found in trying to do that...
0: That if all you end up doing is preaching to the choir, it's not. Hell, it doesn't. Then it do doesn't anything. do anything. So, for instance, you know, I, I don't like the term "social justice warrior." I think right. it is derogatory, and it's also meant if, that way. isn't If it? you're gonna be a warrior for something, social justice seems like a pretty good thing to be a warrior for. Yeah. But it there is there are people that I follow on Twitter who guaranteed are convincing zero new people. Yeah. And because they don't regulate their message at all, right? Every single thing they post or retweet is far left or right. whatever. Right? Then I just think, cool. You're you're making a bunch of people feel good about already agree with, already agreeing with you, right? And hopefully they show up and act and advocate. But you're. You're not showing any epistemological humility yourself, and so I'm actually less likely to trust you epistemologically. If David Brooks writes a column about something that the Republicans or the Democrats are doing that's brilliant, I'm going to believe him because he's not on either team. He's a centrist kind of a guy. Well, <laughs> I mean, he's center right. But Republicans will tell me he's left. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, but a guy's in the middle if both people think he's on the other side.
1: Again, but again, that that's on a curve. That's on a new curve. It's all on curves. Twenty years ago, he would just be right wing. You know what I mean?
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, maybe. Yeah. And that and that might be the case. Like
1: those very same views are are, are classical liberalism. People call it these days. Yeah, it's yeah. like my my point is just if. You know, he's a l lo- I mean, I I, the, I agree with you about that. That ideas, ideas that are isolated from their sort of usual bias. Uh, I've I've heard some things from David Brooks that caused me to think a lot. They were all anti-liberal things, but they but because he is more center. Well, I, I don't know if it's because – because I don't really care for him. But mm. these he's things – He's that, my dude, man. The things that he said uh, struck a chord with me as being true. One of them being is that um, the liberal – it was basically the liberal tendency to, to tinker with the the very, very complex system yeah. uh, to achieve the outcome that they want is is misguided at best. More times than not, I don't know what the exact thing was, but yeah. my takeaway was that impulse to, if you see an outcome that you don't like, to just sort of reach into the system and make changes to it to affect the, that thing that that kind of tinkering indicates a hubris that is not wisdom. Yeah, in in, in a lot of cases, an assumption that we're basically there; it's just a matter it's of just minor a matter tweaks. Of, yeah, or I mean, and, and that, or it, there's a number of ways in which it's just it's just not because maybe you're tinkering with a system that you just don't fully understand the dynamics yeah, of right and maybe more than that not even close yeah especially if you talk about foreign actors and stuff like that yeah and so that was something so i understood something about the the pitfalls of liberalism from david brooks yeah so but, but i understand i understand your point my point was though if david brooks highlights an idea that the DNC
0: puts forward and says, this is a good idea, then,
1: then I'm listening. Absolutely. And that always was the case. Like whenever I was a kid, anybody who sang about religion who wasn't a Christian, it was compelling. And anybody who sang about religion who was a Christian, it was propaganda. And it just didn't seem, and it's the same dynamic that there's a a sort of credibility or, uh, that lack of bias is a thing where it's like, or or somebody similarly, uh, friends of mine had been living together for 10 years, had a, do they have a kid yet? No. And no no one ever thought why, I mean, they didn't need to get married. They were already the common law, like the whole thing And 10 years in, they were like, you know what? We're going to get married. It's like, okay, word. It's kind of beautiful. Yeah, I love yeah. it. It isolates that thing from conformity basically from its conformist context that you sort of perceive it in like well yeah you got to get married because you believe in that or whatever and they decided no social pressure that something about the distinction of being married was something that they wanted to do yeah and so that's that same dynamic i totally agree with you that said i wouldn't ever well like in this moment Following Evan McMillan is sort of a version of that.
0: Oh, that you know? dude.
1: Yeah, I love him. Yeah. And I know yeah. I'm going to hate him in eight, ten 10 years. You know, I know that he's going to like really burn me up in eight or 10 years because he's, because we're not going to be focused on the same, like, get this crisis out of the way. You know, he's well, going to enact policies that I think are wrong headed.
0: Well, yes. But I, so this is the distinction I'm always trying to make. Hate uh, is
1: obviously. Yeah, hopefully, right. hopefully, obviously. He's
0: like a Romney style standard GOP guy. He, yeah. He's the old guard. That his yeah. kind of thinking. Uh, with, a couple, with a couple changes, because he is for um, reducing abortions through uh, health care for pregnant women and sex education and stuff. So he does have he has a couple little things. He's not totally old school
1: GOP. Well, and that is wonderful because the stats just bear those things out. I man. know they do. <laughs> if people, it's if undeniable. pro-lifers so-called were really about abortion, they wouldn't be anti-contraception. It, abortion is sort of part of the suite of, we don't want you to have sex. Well, let's just, okay, we're going to, sorry, he's going to table that one for
0: everybody's sake.
1: <laughs> so I agree with him about, about okay, that stuff. But that's I, so
0: forward. One thing that I have been, that's really become clear to me. Um, and I don't expect you to necessarily share this view. But what I'm realizing about myself is that I think I am a left-leaning, true moderate. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is this. What I mean is, okay, if over a 50-year span, mm-hmm. the two parties take turns, and you know, there's kind of like a lottery of when they have a Senate majority, when they have a House majority, and usually they don't have both, and whatever, that to me... Is a good system that mm-hmm. produces over the long term mm-hmm. compromises. It it incentivizes both parties to work really hard at coming up with the best possible solution that they can mm-hmm. because they don't have an easy ride to getting all their legislation put through. Mm-hmm. It incentivizes. Uh, it keeps this kind of wandering middle that both parties have to try and hit of of centrists. So when I say. Evan McMullen for president, you know, or John Kasich, for instance, or whatever. Mm-hmm. If he had won, great. Yeah. In my long-term view, no. I lean left. I prefer Democratic policies over Republican policies. I think there should be like universal, basically catastrophic and preventative health care. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. For it's, instance, it's
0: and McMullen would not argue so for that. No, no. Okay, but but he's still within the world yeah. of you know the two parties. They go at it, and that produces. Like that mills grain into flour yeah. over time. Trump is different, and what's so scary about Trump is the like Bannon wants to blow that whole thing up, possibly other things. It's kind of unclear what he really thinks, but Trump is like yeah. not doing that. It's not, not about that anything. compromise. Yeah, he's just he's just there to enrich and glorify himself.
1: It seems he's just doing his thing. He's not interested in being president. I mean, yeah. he just wants to be as powerful. Who would have thought he healthcare can? was as, as so complicated?
0: He literally said, "Well, dude, this has been awesome. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, it's going it's going long because it's been good. Um, second half stronger than the first. <laughs> <laughs> so you do these Q and A sections at your shows. Yeah, you did them in Pedro the Lion. I remember because I, mm-hmm. I think I saw you when I was in college, and uh, you do them at the house shows. Yeah." And you've been, so and you 've probably played over a thousand of these shows, so are there any like really, really great questions that that people have asked in the audience that have stuck on your mind
1: I, I I remember being I remember having that feeling more often than I have memories of what the questions were yeah, usually it, just like any conversation it 's just about the context usually the the good ones flow from just what's already been happening there in that room or what sort of is happening one of them that stands out is uh i think i've said this before in san francisco this was like a prepared question that wasn't didn't rely on the context of the show but they said which were you more disappointed with or which are you more disappointed with at this point there was no episode seven and just to preface the of Star, of Star Wars. Okay. Uh, which are you more disappointed with, all of the Star Wars movies after Jedi, or all of the Weezer records after Pinkerton? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> um, oh wow, you got to
0: go Star Wars, right?
1: Yeah, because it 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 kind of gums up a narrative that that the rest that kind of the rest of the movies hinge on. Like Anakin's turn to the dark side, they just really didn't do a great job with that. I felt. Oh uh, like. yeah,
0: I was gonna say because like. Green Album is shallow, but Green, Green it's album like a is good, good early
1: Beach Boys record. Yeah, it's shallow, but it really is. His melodies- Maladroit's got some great cuts. Maladroit has a couple of good Four jams. or five good songs. Yeah, yeah. And then that's true. it's pretty it's rapid pretty for that. And sonically, but but the real almost, well, and that's, that's just it. Star Wars doesn't even rise the, to quite that level. It's almost there, where it's like, it's pretty fun to watch- Those three movies, yeah. Sometimes, but sometimes it's just how the mighty have
0: fallen. It's just not good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Um, that's that's a you know I'm thinking about calling this episode having the the term silver linings in it, and so this is nice. Let's just end on a upbeat note. We got so we got a lot of encouragement there at the end. Yeah. Uh,
1: I don't. I don't feel that one of the problems with me is that I don't feel a difference between the positive and the negative if it feels like it's true yeah (laughs) that's what i feel like if it's sort of if it's in line with what resonates with me yeah then i don't i really can't read the difference or i won't look back on a conversation and feel like oh that went a lot of dark places i usually just think like that was tuned in and kind of resonant yeah if it was up or down i don't even yeah i don't recollect so that people can know that that's maybe one of the reasons why I am the way that I am. <laughs> Perhaps.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it might, that might explain a lot. Well, so you mentioned records and touring and stuff. If people want to buy a record or see you on the road, where should they be
1: looking? What's the latest? Um, there's a new record called Care. You can go to the internet and just search for that. There's, and last year, there's a record called
0: Blanco, called Blanco. which is yeah. one of my favorite albums of the year. I oh, speak very highly of that Thank you one. so
1: much. Care is more in the electronic it keeps in that that vein it's a little different it's more it kind of harkens back more to headphones than it does um, Blanco although there's a lot of Blanco-isms on on it too it's just kind of drier and more upbeat than, than Blanco I think but I'm playing a bunch of shows this year. Um, if you're if you're interested, in seeing is there an email
0: live, list people can get on and then absolutely. they'll get it? Yeah, is yeah. That yeah. A David if you Bazon. go to
1: davidbazon.com, com, exactly. Okay. Or Twitter and Facebook are slightly less reliable than email. Yeah. But so yeah, I'm playing shows. There's a new record. There's going to be a new record every year now. I'm just I figured out how to kind of get in that cool in that balance, you know. Yeah, and uh, it's been. It's been a strange time, but it just started getting really good. That's great. Yeah. Well, thanks, man, for your time. Thank you. Your trouble with boys.
0: I make a choice. So if you haven't guessed yet... All the music underneath this episode is either by David Bazan or his former band Pedro the Lion, of which he was the singer and songwriter. Next week, we've got Beckett Adams, who writes for the Washington Examiner, and he critiques the media. And we're going to be talking about where the media goes right, where it goes wrong, and uh, just a bunch of topics around that. It was an awesome conversation, a little bit shorter, but really Packed full of goodness and he's kind of a natural conservative and it's interesting to hear his take on news and media and everything and he's in the thick of it in Washington writing for the examiner so look forward to that two weeks from now I think we're going to have Greg Boyd pastor of Woodland Hills Church and the question we're going to be asking together is is America a Christian nation what would that mean and would it matter so thank you guys for your support depolarizedpodcast.com you can join the Facebook discussion group for the depolarized podcast and of course if you feel led <laughs> to use uh, the Christian language of Bazan and I's youth if you feel so led you can support the show as a patron patreon.com slash depolarized or depolarizedpodcast.com click the become a patron button and we'll see you next week thank you